This is Strange Assembly episode 263, Dungeons and Dragons Essentials Kit. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I'm here today to take a look at the new Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Essentials Kit. Since 2014, the Dungeons & Dragons Starter Set has served as an introductory product to D&D 5th Edition. That's a very important role for a system like Dungeons & Dragons that can and for the last five years has thrived on bringing not just old players back into the fold, but lots of new players into D&D for the first time. And the D&D starter set has done a great job at that. I think that at, at this point, for a lot of people, the Lost Mine of Fandelver, the adventure in the starter set, and the town of Fandolin have really become iconic, uh, so much that they were recently featured in the Acquisitions Incorporated book, and I think that that is a, a testament to how effective the starter set has been. So the question that I ask when I'm looking at the D&D Essentials Kit, which is essentially a replacement for the starter set, is not, is this a good product, right? Because being good isn't good enough. We've already got a great introductory D&D 5th edition product. The question really is, can the D&D &D Essentials Kit do an even better job than the D&D &D Starter Kit has done? And only time will tell, but I believe that the answer to that is yes. Yes, I think that the Essentials Kit can do an even better job than the D&D &D Starter Set has. So right now, as I am recording this at the end of June 2019, the D&D &D Essentials Kit is only available in Target, but it will be available everywhere in September of 2019. The very bare bones of the Essentials Kit are similar to what is in the starter set. You have a rule book slash character guide. You have a campaign book, DM's eyes only. You've got character sheets, you've got the necessary dice for the product. And there are three basic ways, I think, that the D&D Essentials Kit differentiates itself from the starter set. One is there's just more stuff in the box, accessories and such. The second is that you actually get to do character creation. And third is the way that the adventure slash campaign is constructed. First, character creation. In the D&D starter set, you just have pre-generated characters. And I get the desire to just have pre-generated characters because that eliminates a complexity point. But when I think back to having run groups through the Lost Mine of Fandelver, unless it is at a store introduction convention sort of setting where it's just a group of people coming together for this one time, 
I'm not sure how many times I've actually run it for the pre-generated characters that came in the box. And so I think that the Essentials Kit has made a good decision to shift to having the basics of character creation included in the box. Yes, that requires additional thought before people can sit down and play, but such a big part of Dungeons & Dragons is that it is your character. And even with rudimentary character creation, you can make someone your character in a way that you really can't with a pregen. And so the, the rule book in the Essentials Kit is about twice as big as the rule book in the starter set because those extra 32 pages or so are focused on character creation. Uh, it's not a full player's handbook array of options. You get your basic human, dwarf, elf, halfling for the races. You get your classic four of fighter, cleric, rogue, and wizard, plus the bard. Uh, now, I'm not sure who the bard had to seduce to get into the game, but I personally am just going to take it as a vindication of Jay and I's opinions on a prior episode of this podcast about what the very best 5th edition character classes are. Go us. Uh, and, and then there's uh, about five or so backgrounds to choose from for those characters. Uh, now, then there's just more stuff in the Essentials Kit. And the first place that there's more stuff is that there's more dice. The Starter Kit had six dice. The Essentials Kit has a bit more. Now, I know if you're like me, you've been playing things like D&D for ages and ages. It's not like you need more dice, but this is an introductory product. You've got to include the dice. And here, you have extra dice because it it actually includes the second 10-sided die, so you can use it for a percentile roll. It also includes a second d20. I suppose in an ideal universe, maybe they'd find a way to put like five d20s in here so that every player could have one, but at least two is more than one, which is what there was in the starter set. Uh, the other thing is that there are four d6 instead of just the one six-sided die because you use those for character creation. Now, I personally would, you know, still prefer not rolling dice for character creation anymore. Maybe they could have gone with a, a standard array, but you've got those extra 46 in there for character creation. The other additional materials you have are a fold-out map with the Sword Coast on one side and Phandalin on the other. This is during play, this is a fold-out map for the DM because it has things labeled on it that maybe the player shouldn't see, but I have grown to appreciate this sort of accessory and some of the other access accessories in here more as I have progressed in my gaming career. Perhaps it's because I now do things like frame gaming maps and put them on my wall because I'm a giant geek. You've got a Dungeon Master screen, then you also have a bunch of punch-out cards. Now, these are, you know, not going to replace in quality the fancy pants card accessories that you can buy, but again, this is an introductory product. It's not designed to be the only set of cards that you'll ever own for your entire career as a D&D gamer, but this is another sort of accessory that I have come to value more and more 
are just these little handy things that make everything easier to look up during the game, that make everything easier to track during the game. So you've got a sheet of initiative cards so that, you know, they're, they're just labeled 1 to 9, so you can have everybody roll initiative and then hand people cards in the order of initiative, and then no more having to keep track of that. There's a couple of sheets of cards that are conditions, right? If the, a character is blinded or knocked down or charmed, you can now just hand them a card, and it's got all the rules for their condition. Uh, in, in real life role-playing play, for games like D&D that use conditioned, I have found these sorts of cards to be incredibly, incredibly useful for playing with experienced players and an experienced DM. I, I think that they'd be a real godsend for an introductory product. Uh, just another thing where you don't need to go back to the rulebook over and over again. There's a sheet full of sidekicks and little backgrounds for them. The sidekicks are there to support the use of the Essentials Kit as a two-player product. One DM, one player. You give the player a sidekick, basically, to go along with them. I can't really recommend that. I, I, I Again, I get introductory product. Some people are just going to have the two people to play with. It makes it playable that way. But of course, d and is really uh, ideally a, a social experience as well and works better with more people than that. You've got four pages worth of all the various magic items and cards for those magic items that can be found in the adventure that comes in there. And you've got a tuck box that can be used to carry all of these cards. Now, the very last set of cards is a, a cards of quests. And this brings me to how the adventure or campaign or whatever you want to call it is structured in the D&D Essentials Kit. Now, the name of the adventure is The Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, and it is not any sort of spoiler to let you know that there is, in fact, a dragon in this one, right? It's not just a picture on the cover. The characters will get to fight a dragon during the course of their adventures. And the way that this is done structurally different is that while the starter set, it followed a more traditional adventure format. It's a, it's a good adventure, but right, the more like you have kind of an extended bit in one adventure location, then you go to the town, then you've got a couple more traditional extended adventure bits. The Dragon of Ice Spire Peak really foregoes that in favor of a more bite-sized quest-based format. So you start the adventure already in Phandalin. There are some introductions to the locations in the Phandal in Phandalin and the people in Phandalin. But then the characters' adventures are primarily handled through a literal job board that's up in the town. And I, I'm sure there are going to be people out there who are like, what? A job board? What is this, a video game? Uh, and this is not, I, I don't think, you know, the sort of ideal way to play Dungeons and Dragons or to come upon adventures in a traditional D&D campaign. And by ideal, of course, I just mean preferred by me, right? But again, that's not what this product is, right? This is not a let's have a bunch of experienced players sit down and play a two-year-long Dungeons and Dragons campaign. This is designed for people who have never played D&D before. And in that context, I think 
it is a great insight to break the adventures up into these smaller chunks. So each of these quests, you're really going out and you're having a fight or three and doing a little bit little bit of exploration, a little bit of, you know, environmental trap challenge, you know, a little bit of talking. It varies from quest to quest, obviously, exactly what the mix there is. And then you come back to Phandalin. And you go out and you do a little bite-sized chunk and you come back to Phandalin. And just as a practical matter, that means instead of needing to sit down and starting off your adventure with something that is probably not going to be accomplished in one four-hour play session, especially not with new players, and then having to pause and then come back later and do it again, you're now going to be able to, if you want, tackle the bits and pieces of the Dragon of Icepire piece uh, in, in smaller chunks, right? You can go out, if you have an hour to play with your group, or you know, right, you've got a group of new people, they're not willing to dedicate an entire Saturday to Dungeons and Dragons right now, maybe they've only got a couple hours, you can sit down, you can go through one or two of these little bite-sized chunks, depending on how long you have and how fast your group is playing, and then you can put it away, and it's already at a nice stopping point, and then you can come back next time, and if you want to, if you have a group and you want to play a longer four or six hour session, sure, you can churn through a bunch of these, but you don't have to. You now have that option, and I think that that will work out really well for introductory groups. Now, that's it for sort of the the general interest uh, section. Uh, I have a few more thoughts on the Dragon of Icebuyer Peak for the prospective game master here. So I'm going to do this thing where I say, hey, if you don't want to hear anything that is going to give anything away about the adventure, because you might end up being a player in the adventure, then this would be a good time to switch off. If you're not sure what to do with yourself after you, you know, turn off this podcast, could I recommend visiting strangeassembly.com? Oh, I know, that was that was such a surprise. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're Strange Assembly on both places. But all right, so that now now you've had that little boring, you know, pitching of our social media and stuff. Surely if you're not interested in hearing this stuff about the adventure, you you left rather than sit through that nonsense, right? Because who wants to sit through that? Uh, you know, we we have to we we as the podcast where we have to put that in there. You, of course, as the listener, have to scroll through to the end rather than listen to it. So the Dragon of Icebuyer Peak. All right, if you're not an experienced DM, okay, right? Just just go through it, play it as written. You're you're not going to notice that something is a little different about it. If you are an experienced D and D player, using this to bring to a group of new players, which is obviously right. That's right. Anytime I'm going to use this product, that's necessarily how I'm going to use it, right? So I notice that the leveling is a little funky. So it uses milestone leveling. That's not the funky part. Almost all of the published campaigns, they have experienced stuff, but really they're designed to be used with milestone leveling. And that works really well, I think, for a more linear sort of campaign. But the Dragon of Icebuyer Peak isn't really linear, linear because the characters go and they go to this job board and there's a selection of quests and you don't know what order they're going to do them in. And then after they've completed a couple, then a few more pop up and 
It's designed to do something like there's three quests on the board. The first two they complete, they level up each time. And then you put three more quests on the board, and the next two of those they do, they level up each time. And then you put three more quests on the board, and the next one of those they do, they level up. And, and now they're level six, and level six is what the final confrontation with the, the dragon is designed to be played at. So this goes from level one to level six. But if you play that as written, the characters will go from level one to level six very quickly. Because these are, again, these are little bite-sized chunks of adventures. Some of them, technically, the quest can be completed by going to the location, talking to an NPC, and then coming back. Now, I personally would not recommend actually letting someone gain a level for that. It's like, no, no, no. You talk to them, then they ask you to help them clear out the dungeon. So go in and clear out the dungeon. It's a little small dungeon. You'll be fine. But even within that context, even fully completing some of the missions, they're, they're way less content than you would normally need to gain a level. And that's not a problem. It's just different, right? The advantage of that is you can now take a group of players and they can really accelerate from levels one to six and get a bit fuller of an experience. Now, it may be a bit of a shock if they go and play in a normal D&D campaign and they don't level up, you know, every hour and a half of play, but, you know, you can still do it that way. You also have the option of slowing the adventure down a little bit or slowing the the levels down a little bit and, and going through everything, right? There's ultimately, there's a total of nine quest board quests plus two quests that are found in a, you know, rumors at the end sort of thing. And then one quest that's a follow-up to uh, to some of the other quests. And and all of that takes up right the same amount of space as Lost Mine of Fandelver did, uh, which just took characters from level one to four. So you you certainly have the ability to say, okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna have the characters go through and they're gonna play through all or almost all of this content, and they're gonna gain their five levels, and they're gonna be level six, and then they're gonna go off and they're gonna fight the dragon. Indeed, one of the quests is balanced for sixth level characters, which is already high enough to to fight the dragon, right? So uh, at that point, you're you're still doing milestone leveling, really, but you're just going to adjust the milestones a little bit. So you know the one of the starter, the one of the three starter quests that's literally showing up and either fighting or bribing the one monster, and then you talk to someone and you're done, right? That does not. Right, you know, that that all of a sudden, okay, that just doesn't give you a level no matter what. You have to do it, but you don't get a level for it. And, but I, I mention these just because the important thing is that if you're going to sit down to run this, pay attention to exactly the way that the quests get delivered and what sort of levels the quests are designed to be played at. And think about that in terms of how you're going to want to do the leveling. Because all of the adventures are vague enough, as it were, that you're not going to have a problem if the party is like one level too high or one level too low for the optimum level. Nothing is so hard that a party that's one level too low is just going to get TPK'd without you even paying attention. But it, it just, you know, check on that. Like one of the three mid-level quests is really optimized for a higher level of character. So you maybe no, don't want to 
do what the book says and make that available immediately. Maybe let them pick off one of the lower two of the mid-level quests and then add that third mid-level quest to the job board because why make the fourth level quest available when they're only third level and there are two third level uh, quests. But still, I think that this is a, a great way that they are approaching the adventures. Uh, and now, and I again, I have, I've, I think I've thought that the the starter set was great. I've I've had great times with it. But I I think that the essentials kit has gone and done it one better. And I think it is worth checking out either right now if you want to go hit up a target or wait a few months and then you can get it at you know, Amazon or where your friendly local game store or wherever it is that you want to get it. All right. So you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. We're at the usual social media places. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly and Strange Assembly on Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes on our website or through your favorite pod catching app. If you aren't able to find Strange Assembly through your service, please let me know and I will make sure to get it on there. If you want to get a hold of me for that or any other purpose, you can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments and feedback, criticism, what have you. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.